Wild Precious Life is brought to you in part by Max Bax, a proud Cleveland indie bookstore with three floors for browsing, great online service, and chocolate milkshakes right next door. Find your next great read and shop online at maxbax.com. And we're brought to you by the Ashland University Low Res MFA, where our accomplished faculty help you find your voice and complete your degree at your own pace. Expand your writing practice and refine your craft within the supportive community of Ashland University's Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. Learn more and enroll today at ashland.edu. When you record a podcast, there's what the listeners hear, but there are also these occasional downtimes. The audio folks might be checking sound levels. Our lead producer could hear a buzzing noise she wants to problem solve. You learn to roll with it. Because I have no discernible skills on the technological side, my job during those lulls is usually just to chat with our guests. Most of the time, we're making small talk. The weather, books we've read, where our guest bought her cool earrings. But every once in a while, we'll share a thoughtful moment that isn't caught on tape. That's what happened with today's guest, Stephanie Jankowski. Steph is a terrific teacher, and she came on the show to talk about getting back into the school rhythm. She is full of great advice for parents and teachers alike. But during one of our audio lulls, we also hit on something that has stayed with me. We both confessed to already feeling a little beaten down by the school year. We each have three kids and jobs, and we were squeezing this interview in right after we'd gotten the children out the door to their schools and right before we were sitting down at our own desks to do our own jobs. We were carving out the tiniest bit of time for adult conversation and to make this show I love. Both Stephanie and I have worked in education for two decades now, and we're incredibly familiar with what I would call the high school football scene, that crisp Midwest back-to-school vibe that usually makes September crackle with excitement and possibility. It always reminds me of that line from the You've Got Mail movie where Tom Hanks offers to send Meg Ryan a bouquet of freshly sharpened pencils. However, I will not deny it. I also feel a kind of weariness. The pandemic was not good for much. As I've said before, I give it two solid thumbs down. But it was good for getting us out of the things that we never really wanted to do in the first place. The superfluous meetings and responsibilities, chauffeuring kids to activities all over town. I did not miss the after-school mambo. Yesterday, I picked up my daughter from school and dropped off my son at track practice and then dropped off my daughter at home and then picked up my son from track and dropped him off at home and then zipped my daughter to musical rehearsal and dashed to a meeting and then retrieved my daughter from rehearsal and schlepped home. Then we squeezed dinner and homework and family time into the corners and crevices of our day. Stephanie and I talked about all that. But again, because it was during a break, I didn't get it on tape. I thought about trying to recreate it for you guys, but then we ran out of time, and quite frankly, the fact that we were talking about having to squeeze the awesomeness of our lives into stolen moments of the day was kind of underscored by the fact that we discovered those shared feelings in an unrecorded corner of our conversation. This is all just to say that I am looking hard at my calendar this week and seeing how I can breathe a few more breaths into it, more ease, more joy, definitely more carpools, 
and more of the things I love with the people I love. If you are also hobbling along during this back to school month, I encourage you to do the same. So our guest today is Stephanie Jankowski, an English teacher by trade and smack talker by nature. Stephanie's humor writing can be found at When Crazy Meets Exhaustion, and her essays have been anthologized in I Just Want to Be Alone and The Big Book of Parenting Tweets. Stephanie co-directed the storytelling show Listen to Your Mother Pittsburgh and was a guest at the White House where she was invited to spend the afternoon with former First Lady Michelle Obama discussing the pressing issues facing parents and teachers and what we could do about them. A mother of three, Stephanie lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where she makes a mean ham barbecue and spends way too much time trying to match her kids' socks. Stephanie Jankowski, welcome to Wild Precious Life. Thank you, friend. So your book, Schooled, is described as, quote, a love letter to the exhausting, infuriating, occasionally excruciating, yet somehow completely wonderful profession of teaching. And it's also described as, um, you know, for every educator who's ever like wanted to bang their head against the blackboard, your book shouts, you know, I see you and you're not alone. Yes. It's such a lovely book. I'm so glad that you're here to talk about it. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for reading it. When I interview for jobs in education that I'm simply never prepared for, and I'm curious what your answer is. This is a, this is really sneaky, okay? Okay. All right, I'm ready. Why do you want to be a teacher? You know, <laughs> my answer <laughs> 20 years ago is different than the answer today. Um, 20 years ago, it was because, like, I'm going to make a difference. And I just had all of that, like, gorgeous, um, I was just deliciously naive, I think. Today, though... I honestly feel like I still can make a difference, but I feel, and this is possibly a little conceited, but I am just good at it. And I look at some of them that are in the classrooms and with our kids today and just think, "Mm, you're not so good at it. And (laughs) I feel like I'm almost needed at this point, which says, you know, probably a little bit about my ego, but a lot about the system of education as a whole. Um, I I just feel like our kids need an advocate and someone who wants to be spending that time with them. I'm so glad that you're out there on working on behalf of kids, because you're right. There are plenty of folks that I both have taught with and also as a high school kid learned from Right. That th- these are examples of what not to do. Like, they wanted exactly, their summers off. That's it. That <laughs> is it. Right. And I'm, you know, and listen, I don't begrudge that. I enjoy my summers off with the kids, but uh, it's just, I don't know. They just deserve better, especially now. Like being a kid was hard in like the 80s and 90s. Being a kid today is like, it's a train wreck, you know? So I just, they need somebody in their corner. Sure. I mean, they've been through, we've all been through these unprecedented times. Uh, my my daughter is a senior this year, and she's yet to have a completely undisrupted year. You know, we had her freshman year, the world shut down. Her sophomore yeah. year, they, you know, they limped back. Her junior year, we had, you know, the end of Delta and Omicron and all these variants. And so was homecoming. Right. It wasn't just, am I going to have a date to homecoming? What dress am I going to wear to homecoming? It was, is homecoming going to be existing? So right. they have, they've had very little free opportunities to just 
have faith in a system that believes in them that they can believe in. Absolutely. And I'm on the other side of that coin. My daughter started kindergarten. Um, the world shut down like right in the middle of that, which was awful because I was finally just getting her excited about it. Like she was the child that went for the first two days, loved it. And then come the third day, she's like, I'm sorry. No, I don't want to continue to do this. So she would run <laughs> from the bus. Like we had tears. We had bartering systems. Like if there's, I made this, oh, I was so proud of myself. If there's no fuss before the bus, like we had like a treasure chest, but like we were finally on the right path. And then, you know, Friday the 13th hit and that was that. And so this is really the first year I feel like it's been a whole experience. Like we don't have restrictions in the cafeteria parents are allowed back in the building. Like I will get to go back in and start tutoring. And I'm really excited about that. But the kids need that. They need, you know, the, the normalcy, whatever it looks like right now. But they, they definitely need the experience and the people making it as, you know, as a wonderful and worthwhile experience as possible. That's uh, that's very true. So I remember, this is in the before times, but I remember when you were in the process of getting your book schooled out the door. I remember thinking there were times when you were the one being schooled by the process of writing this book. And then other times that the rest of us were being schooled by like your wisdom. Like there was a lot of schooling happening. So would you talk to us about this labor of love? What was it like to publish this book and the journey? Just tell us about that. Yeah, well, you use the right word, labor. Um, <laughs> I didn't set out to publish, actually. I had been writing on the side for educational websites, and I have a blog that I just kind of like, you know, it's like verbal diarrhea. Um, and so the publisher came to me and was like, would you ever write a book about motherhood? And not that I don't think that would be interesting, but I felt like it's been done ad nauseum. And so I was like, oh, probably not, but thanks. I mean, who says no, first of all, so whatever. Um, And then he was like, well, what about teaching? And I was like, hold on, because I've had this idea like marinating in my brain for almost two decades. And so it happened very quickly. So we hit the ground running. They needed a table of contents. And I literally had nothing but the idea of, I could write a love letter to this profession. And so they, my editor was phenomenal. She was so patient with me. And so she took an idea and stretched it and molded it. And all of a sudden, it was like an entire story. And so the actual act of writing was horrifying, terrifying, gratifying, but I'll tell you what was more difficult was actually finding people to read the book and buy the book. And that part, I think, was almost, I felt like a door-to-door salesman. And I hated that. But it was necessary because here's this baby I just birthed and I would love for you to hold him and love him. And so I need to put the baby into your hands. And so it was it was a whole thing. But um, I, I don't know what was more painful, actually having my C-section with my son or getting that book out the door, like you said. Um, Both wonderful experiences would do it again, highly recommend, but um, it really takes a lot out of you, you know? I want to dig into this for a little bit because before the book, what I thought of you as was a writer and a teacher. That's what I knew you. I knew your blog. It's when crazy meets exhaustion, right? Was that? Correct, yeah. yeah. I knew your writing. I knew your, so I knew you as a writer and a teacher and that's what you did. And so now you were asked to write a book, right, about teaching. I trust you to take me 
through these schools because I know you as a teacher and I'm understanding you as a writer, but um, it feels like such a gift. Oh, well, that is a very, very nice thing to say. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's funny because it the ideas came easily, you know, crafting it into something I could be proud of and writing is a completely different story. But like the ideas were there. I think the concept always lived in my brain and it was almost like it was meant to be like Kismet or something when they came to me and was like, would you, you know, be interested? And initially where they were talking about motherhood, not that I'm not interested in writing about my experience as a mom, but I just feel like, I, I don't know, that, that just wasn't what I was passionate about at the time. That sounds awful. Kids, if you're listening, I love you. Mama loves you. Um, <laughs> They're not <laughs> listening. <know>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shoot. Okay. Mother-in-law, I do love your grandchildren. No, but um. I don't know. It's just, it's, I, I can't even explain it. It's like, this was like always simmering. It was always there. And then all of a sudden somebody gave me the tool and was like, let's, let's do this. Let's make it happen. And it all came to fruition. And it was, it really was, um, I know I joke about it, but this was a story I had been wanting to tell specifically about the first school where I taught, um, the people there, the experiences there, just life-changing, and I will carry that with me forever. And so to have it like, you know, memorialized in a book is pretty special. No, it really is. And I've had the honor of reading the book, but I guess some of our listeners might not have. Why don't you, I'm not asking you for a full summary, but maybe tell us a little bit about your your first teaching job. What was that like? It was like somebody punching you in the face every morning, but then giving you like the best hug at night. <laughs> So that's about it. No, it was, um, I think anything new can be overwhelming and daunting. And I think when your product is a child and the stakes are so high, it just goes without saying that it is stressful. Um, you know, and there are so many nuances like, oh, kids, man. And I had teenagers. So like some of my students were 18 and I was 22, 23 when I started teaching. So that in and of itself was exceptionally difficult. I say difficult, but challenging. It was a challenge and one that I accepted, but uh, it was, it was hard to go from like, hi, I'm in college doing anything I want. And there are really no guidelines to now I'm responsible for these actual humans and their learning. And in my mind, part of their success as a human being outside of the school too. That was always in the back of my mind. Like, I'm not just here to teach you about like sentence fragments and reading Shakespeare, but I would also like to impart some like life lessons. Like, don't be an asshole when you leave my classroom. <laughs> also not in here, but also when, so, you know, it was just, um, it was a very big responsibility. So coming from, again, the college life to this giant responsibility was kind of like, oh, what have I done? But worthwhile at the end of the day, you know? I do remember that. You're taking me back, but I remember from my first yeah. teaching job, it was um, one of those parent nights. And I remember being really cheerful and, and chatting with the parents and just chatting them up. And then the bell rang and then they were just like coming for me because yep. I was a toddler teacher. I was I was a baby in their eyes and they're looking at me. Their, their kids are 17 and 18 and I'm 23, you know, and then yeah. I do remember that. And reading your book, it's, you know, I'm not 23 anymore. I know, I know you, you couldn't tell, but um, <laughs> I had forgotten what it was like to be much younger than the parents and them looking at me 
like my teenagers being taught by a glorified teenager. You really did have to earn their respect. Yeah. You really had to prove yourself. Absolutely. Like, and one of the um, stories in my book is my first year of teaching, but it had been a few months. Like it was established that I worked there. I went to the building and earned a paycheck. Thus I am employed. (laughs) Um, I was on hall duty and I had slipped out of my heels and put on tennis shoes because it just makes sense. And the school nurse saw me walking the halls and like literally put her hands on me, grabbed me and was like yelling, like, you need to get back to class. <laughs> and that was not the first time she had done it. I was so pissed at the end of that day. Like, when will my colleague know? One, you don't put your hands on another person, clearly. But also, I work here. I have been here for months. We have had this very same encounter multiple times. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't get it. Like, so that was, um, in retrospect, it's funny at the time it was infuriating, but it was almost like I needed to wear a sign like, hi, I'm a teacher or, you know, like not, not one of the sophomores. Thank you. But that, you know, it made for a good book. So (laughs) it's that too. Had to put your hair up in a bun and wear like a severe blazer or. (laughs) Yes. Those ballet flats and never smile, you know? It's funny. I I had forgotten about many of those things. There's other ways that you try to earn your stripes in in teaching, but I'd forgotten what it was like to just be almost the same age as the kids you're teaching. That's also a benefit, though, because I feel like the music they were listening to and the music I was listening to was the same. You know, definitely. Yeah, you absolutely. You make those like you know pop culture connections, and especially when you're doing it in the lesson, and you can kind of you know make. Hamlet make more sense or, you know, whatever. It's just, that is an absolute benefit. Um, so you and I are, you and I are talking during kind of the back to school weeks in America. I just went to my son's curriculum night, formerly meet the teacher last night, and um, I'm heading to my daughter's tonight. This is the time of year when, you know, we're all on good behavior, trying to get off on the right foot with the students, with the, with the parents. However, as the months tick by, um, I know we sometimes lose some of that shine. You and I are both teachers, so we're and we're both parents. So I think we're speaking from similar perspectives. And so, what are some of your survival tips for parents and teachers to be good partners on this educational journey? Well, I think you know, like you said, we all start out these shiny pennies, and then it just gets to the point where you're like, I just cannot for one more second. Um, I think the key is always and will remain respectful, open communication. Um, You know, teachers make mistakes, parents make mistakes. And so I think if we are just able to respectfully communicate uh, and, and acknowledge when we're maybe not at our best, and so we can kind of show one another that grace that I think is probably lacking <laughs> uh, today, but anyway, um, I, I think that's absolutely the key. I think it has to be a partnership. I, ha- I think it has to be 50-50. Um, and and I, I do think it'll help keep us shinier longer. But as far as survival tips, oh, I just fly by the seat of my pants, like wing in a prayer. And that's really all I've got. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was, that's it. <laughs> there was a sign in the faculty room when I lived in Charleston, South Carolina, it was something to the effect, it might have even been based on a book, but it was something like, if you don't feed the teachers, they eat the students. 
And I was kind of laughed because I was inevitably like getting some terrible tired lunch that I was scarfing down while, you know, running yeah. around. Um, but it also highlighted for me the relationship between teachers and students, between students and parents, between parents and teachers. You know, yeah. I used to tell parents that um, there's going to be a day uh, when your kid comes home and they're like, Miss Kelly, she just she signed homework. <laughs> and mom, oh my gosh, we've got to read this book in our reading class. And it's like, oh my God, and it's due tomorrow. And you're going to be tempted to be like, I'm shocked to discover the writing teacher assigned writing. And I and I would tell them, I'm like, and there's going to be days when your kid comes in and we're journaling. And they're going to be like, my mom said I have to clean my room. And my dad <laughs> said, I cannot drive the car. And I had to mow the left. That. So we're going to, we're both going to be on the receiving end of the stories that the kids tell about us. And yeah. that before I ever write to you and accuse you of taking away their car keys, or I'm shocked to discover that you're asking them to do chores, I'm going to trust that you're a partner on this journey, right? That we have to feed these relationships. That Absolutely. I, whenever I write to my son's or daughter's teachers, I don't want the first interaction to be like very Karen y, like, hey, I was just wanting to know what's like, yeah. I, you know, like, so I always think about <laughs> my kids said, yeah, my kids said, oh, you said, oh, feed yeah. that relationship. If your kid ever comes home and says anything nice about any teacher ever, dash a note and be like, hey, I just wanted you to know you're wonderful and my kid says so. Like, no expectation. Feed that relationship exactly. so yep. that when, you know, it's like money in the bank so that when you do need to be like, yeah, my kid says you skipped him and sharing and he came home and cried. You don't want that to be the first email you send. Agree 100%. And that's so funny because I just did that for all three of my kids the first week of school because I'm I'm lucky that they they really do enjoy going to school and so like they'll come home and like my middle <laughs> she's 11 and has so many words and she uses them all <laughs> the second she gets in the door so like everything stops we pause and we let her you know share literally everything that happened in her day and, but I take notes in my brain I'm like oh she she's mentioned this math teacher's name four times she's really excited about I don't know decimals so I did I ran to my computer real quick and just said you were the topic of conversation. I know you don't get to hear this enough, but thank you. My kid's excited about learning. It's because of you. Thank you. Because as a teacher, we don't hear that probably ever or at least not enough. And it's not like we're not trying to be a kiss ass, but I think it's just human nature. Everybody likes to know you're doing something well and we see you and thank you. And that in and of itself, I think is enough just to make that solid foundation and first connection. Cause you're right. That first connection is hopefully something positive. Yeah. And often it's not. And so then you've mm -hmm. got to think about when as a parent do I speak up and when do I, you know, let the kiddo solve it. You know, as we're talking about this, I'm wondering, so I I I know you as a as a teacher and a and a humor writer, as a as a mom and a and a teacher, but did becoming a parent change you as an educator? Um, Are you different now than you were before? I don't really think so because I was always that educator that was like, you put the student before all. I, I was always concerned, like, did you get a good breakfast? How are things in your personal life? How is that going to impact, you know, the way you're learning in my class? And so I think maybe the the one way I, I do see myself differently is that 
I pick up on like little nuances of the students because I now see them in my own kids. I feel like I've changed more as a parent. Ooh, tell me about that. Yes. You know, um, just, I think, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a bit harder on my own kids. Um, I want them to recognize that these teachers, it's not a cakewalk. Like if they tell you to get a yellow folder, get the freaking yellow folder. Like you don't, you don't get to, you don't have the luxury of deciding what you will and won't do. It doesn't matter if I don't agree with it. I don't care if you don't like it, but you're going to do it. I just feel like that's just like, you know, from professional to professional, my family will come into your classroom and they will be respectful. They might not be the best student and they might have a bad day here and there, but if you want a freaking yellow folder, we're getting the folder, you know? So I feel like, um, I also feel in some sense that my kids are almost in this like fishbowl of, you know, they've done nothing to deserve it. But my husband and I are both educators. My husband teaches in the district our kids attend. And so I think there's a bit of pressure there as well, just to raise like hi kids, don't be assholes. Like that's our goal. Like don't embarrass the family name and uh, just, just be good people. Right. So I don't know. I just, I kind of feel like that's been the, the focus or the bigger change for me. My dad taught in my high school so I could never kiss a boy in the hallway and get away with it. Never. Dang it. it was like the, the worst. I didn't care about the classroom <laughs> stuff or like the teacher stuff. But like if you were going to have a boyfriend and like hold hands, it was going to get back to him. So yep. <laughs> that's going to be honestly, that's going to be all three of my kids. And my husband's already said, like, uh, we'll be, you know, we'll be going through a process, a vetting process for everyone you want to date. And, you know, he's kidding, of course, but my two daughters are having an absolute fit, which is really something I'm enjoying at this point. (laughs) They're already, I mean, like they're 11 and eight, they're not about to go to prom, but the fact that they're already like worried about, oh my gosh, dad's going to be there. I'm like, yes. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Guilty Greeny. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the guilty green. There's your first challenge of the week. Avoid elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. That's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green. Becoming a parent made me softer as a teacher. And in the beginning, I really, that bothered me because I feel like I used to be like all about the work and the deadlines and the stuff. And I think ever since becoming a parent, um, I also feel like I used to put on a show for the kids, like, let me entertain. Like, they never do, like, <laughs> jazz hands and what was going to happen yes. next. And, like, be mystified. I just feel like I, 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 there's no time for that anymore, right? I can't I can't be, like, blowing up balloons. Um, yes. But I, I also think that because of that, like, 
it's not my job to wow them. And it's my job to like love the students and value them and esteem them and believe in them so that they will love and value and esteem and believe in themselves. Absolutely. I I know that I believed that before, but I never was quite as overt about it because I was too busy tap dancing and like, you know, putting on my shows. I also let kids go to the bathroom now. Remember? That's so sweet of you. Yeah. (laughs) Remember? Every principal I've ever had in, you know, principals, if you're listening, they're always keep the kids in the classroom. Don't leave the the the, the two and a half minute change time. That's when they're supposed to to pee. Oh yeah, and plenty of time. And plenty of time to unlock your locker that sticks and get your yes. books and that yellow folder we've been talking about in your binder <laughs> and talk to a friend and go to the bathroom and not be late. You know, like our classes, you know, they're an hour and a half. Yeah, I sometimes have to go to the bathroom. So you know, I talk to the kids about. Maybe don't, when I'm saying a sentence, it's like, and I guess the most important thing that I want you to take away, not just from this class, but from the whole year, and they'll raise their hand to use the bathroom. Like, no, no, this is not the moment. So we talk about like appropriate moments for asking. (laughs) But like, I used to, I used to toe the line, you know, where you only get three a semester or like all that nonsense. And now I'm just like, you know what? Yeah. It's okay to go to the bathroom because I yeah. know what my kids are like when they're like, they come home off the bus and the first thing they're running to the bathroom. Yep. yep. And I think the reason we were, you know, so just adamant about these are the rules and we will follow them. And I, I, I think it goes back to being a young female teacher. At least for me, I found myself wanting to do everything by the book because you will not look at me and say, oh, she's just this young girl. She doesn't know any better. And so that obviously like, you know, translated into me being pretty strict in the classroom. And, um, you know, I think softer, like you said, is probably a good word. I think I just finally realized like these are young human beings who might not be coming into my class because they're excited to write a five paragraph essay. There just might be some other things influencing, you know, their, uh, their day. And I think I probably, recognize that better after I had my own. Well, yeah, just the idea is the the your schools are often the heart of your community. And so how can that heart be beating not just for the the fourth and fifth graders who go there or the right. 15 and 16 year olds who are made to be there, but how could it be more of the the pulsing heart of the community? I think some of the answers could be much more simpler than we sometimes make them. I know schools that have in my hometown, they have like a community workout center that's adjacent to the gym. And so throughout the day, you know, my my older neighbor would go and swim at my high school and you'd sometimes see him in his flip-flops and you know that this the school was was his recreation center. They did they did silver sneakers and and you know, like that that the yeah. other people are coming to the school. And then, you know, the the theater productions that they do of course are opened up to, you know, welcome the community there, but anytime you can you can making sure that the school's not just a hub for those the the teachers yeah. who are there but also the yeah. the kids and then the that the families feel welcome. I know in this time of like school security. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. It's really really hard for those boundaries, but even even in those after school hours what you can do to make the school, you know, the beating heart of of the town cuz cuz it is right. that. It is. And I mean, I just feel like even like I don't know, for like the first week, parents go to kindergarten lunches and literally help the little ones open their applesauce packets and make sure that you're using a straw for your milk. And 
not that our seventh and eighth graders would need that, but how about just like a welcome wagon in the morning? Like, Hey, I know that lady, that's my basketball teammates, mom's sister's cousin, or, you know, just show up in the cafeteria. I think the teachers would probably love the help on cafeteria duty. I don't know what the answer is. And I don't know who is actually available to do these things because, you know, we have jobs, but I just feel like that component is missing as the kids get older. And I wonder, you know, if there is some correlation because studies show that after what the fifth grade students are much less interested in learning. And, you know, I'm not pointing the finger at curriculum or teachers. I think there's a whole you know, a lot of moving parts to that. And I just, I don't know how we could address those things and, you know, just kind of make those small improvements. Well, there were things I was interested in learning. They just weren't being taught in my classroom. Um, <laughs> Touche. Although, although leaving room for, you know, student choice. And, and I had a, a kid write, you know, inquiry-based learning. So I had a student write his argumentative paper last year about how, video games did not make kids violent and he was he was researching and arguing on behalf that that often when it comes to uh, violence in schools people look to first person shooter video games and he was heavily researching how video games were um outlets for kids frustrations yeah. and not but you know I never would have assigned this topic but it was what he was interested in and he was charged with writing a persuasive essay and it didn't matter to me what he persuaded that that he right. effectively did it but you know that. taking cues from what the kids are interested in and figuring out how to um, make the curriculum you know support that inquiry-based learning uh long before the pandemic i believe you were one of the first teachers i ever met who was online teaching like i know all of us in 2020 really? get a taste of it i think you were in my memory, you were one of the very first online teachers I had ever met. So I know you've had your own classroom. You've been in, you've taught summer school, you've been in the buildings, but you've also worked online. And I'm wondering if you could offer us some pros and cons, you know, just like the 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 value of online versus in-person teaching. Yeah, um, I think collaboration, that socialization aspect, in the traditional classroom, face-to-face -face is obviously, those are huge benefits to face-to-face -face, uh, learning. That said, I know a lot of students that thrive in the online classroom, and it's not because they don't want to be with other kids. It's because they are so busy with other people doing other things. I've had professional ballerinas. I've had kids studying abroad. I've had kids going on mission trips with their church. And so online learning allows them to do that. They're exceptionally well-rounded, which I think is a misconception of online learners. But if we're talking like strictly teaching, I miss not being in the classroom, looking at their faces as I horrify them with dance moves or like laugh at my own jokes. You don't necessarily get that online, but I will say I am fortunate. I'm not really in like um, instruction role right now. So I went from English teacher to the equivalent of almost like uh, a college advisor, right? So I'm working with students in like rural Louisiana right now. And these are students who need someone like me. They need the online learning opportunity to get a decent education and to allow them to, you know, continue doing the mission trips and the whatever. So I'm reaching a community that I wouldn't be able to otherwise. That makes sense. That is kind of magical, though, when it when it does work. 
I'm remembering yeah. that in addition to being one of the first people I knew who was an online teacher, you were also one of the first people I knew who was invited to the White House because of your awesomeness as a parent and an educator. <laughs> if I'm not, I don't think I'm telling a story. I think that this is real. I think that you like got to go to the White House because the first lady, Michelle Obama, was there and wanted awesome parents and teachers in the same room. Oh, those are all facts. I don't even know if I have a question. I just think I want to ask, like, do you remember the time <laughs> when you went to the White House? And that was and awesome. The first lady. Yeah. <laughs> I'll make it a question. Was it awesome? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've had good days. And I know it was. First of all, let me just say. I was three kids deep. They were like five years old and under. So I had that. I had the full-time job. I was really trying to get my writing off the ground. And I get this email saying like, so would you be interested in going to Washington, D.C.? Literally my first response. And I typed it and I sent it. It was like, I am much too busy. Send. And so Who are you? My husband, I don't know. <laughs> I was my, I think my youngest was maybe not even a year. Maybe mm-hmm. she had just turned a year, but like, I was like, drowning in motherhood right so my husband comes home and I was like look at this and he was like Stephanie (laughs) Michelle Obama (laughs) is inviting you and I was like how am I going to get there who's going to get the kids on the bus who's you know and like Mm -hmm. your just mom brain starts like off the rails and he's like we will work it out we're going to need you to go ahead and RSVP so I mean and then I, I I did it and it was it was incredible just to be in a room where you felt seen and appreciated by Michelle Obama, by anybody who is in the, you know, who has the capacity to make a large scale difference. It was, uh, God, uh, just incredible, incredible. She took us on tours of the gardens. I got to see where uh, Mr. Barack Obama played basketball. And I still brag about these things. <laughs> oh, that's most excellent. I'm so glad for that. I I do think there aren't um, all that many moments as teachers where we are looked at and told, how valuable the work we do is or how we esteem you. And so I'm so glad that you got that moment. Well, and she said something I'll never forget. Like she said, just keep working at it because it's making a difference. Like you are influencing not just the, the kids in your classroom or the ones under your roof, but like the role that we're in as educators, we take it for granted. We take our reach and our, you know, ability to influence you know, and make change. We take it for granted. And um, so I've, I've kept that in the back of my mind. It's like a pretty, you know, heady responsibility, but at the same time, it's exceptionally exciting. And so I just, oh, I remember my girl, Michelle, when she said it, she was looking right at me. Totally. Totes. I saw her. I saw it on television. Yeah. Yeah, That was a, you guys had a moment. Uh, I also stole a napkin. Don't tell my family. You know what? This is a safe space. Anything you say on Wild Precious Life stays on Wild Precious Life. So no one, oh, no one will ever yeah. know. Uh, I could talk teaching all day, and I know that you've got to actually go and do the teaching job. So I'm going to wrap with just a few icebreakers here at the end, some get-to-know-you stuff for these first okay. weeks of school. And for the first ones, are just multiple choice. You just pick one, okay? Okay. So uh, dogs or cats? Oh, dogs. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Mountains or beach? Beach. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we were going to do this interview one day and we scheduled it and you're like, actually, I think I'm on vacation at the beach that time. Like, how'd you forget that you're (laughs) on vacation at the beach? Because I am a train wreck in the summer without the school, like the school day structuring my time. I don't even know if I'm coming or going, but the beach was amazing. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, Early bird or night owl? Oh, God. 
can I get a third option that's like right around 1 p.m.? All right. An afternoon (laughs) later gator. I don't know. We'll have to come up with a name for you. Yeah, I'll take it. As a teacher, I remember my dad just like laughing when I was becoming a teacher. He's like, you're not a morning person. You know, when when high school starts, you know, I've I've had to be in classrooms at 7.03 or 7.13 and you know, I know lots of night owls who become teachers, and it's sort of funny. This is a uh, fill in the blank. If I wasn't working as a teacher, I would be a writer. Yeah, I thought maybe. Are you a risk taker or are you the person who always knows where the band aids are? Oh, I'm the band aid person. Yeah, for sure. Boring. I don't know if it's boring. I try try having a blood gushing wound. You know, I I think the Band-Aid person is is very important. Well, but in that in that instance, I would point them out to someone to then go get them because I don't do the gushing of the blood either. So I, again, you're a, a, a purveyor of Band-Aids, but not necessarily. I'm a supervisor. Yeah. <laughs> nice. If you could time travel, would you rather go back in time or forward? I would want to go back. Yeah. I'd go back and maybe just like sit with my pap for a bit. Yeah. 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 I understand that. Uh, What's something that folks don't know about you? It could be quirky. It could be a pet peeve. It could be a like, an obsession. What do folks not know about you? I I can pick most anything up with my toes, which is probably not something I would start a conversation with, but here we are. You have ting, (laughs) you've got tingers. Isn't that what it's called? Finger toes? I do. I, I like it. Tingers. And yes. And I'm also, I've been known to pinch. So like if my kids are behaving in a way they shouldn't, we're in public, I can just latch on. It's not, it's not really a sexy quality, if you will, but um, you know, I, I make it work. I make it work. I love that. I love that. <laughs> um, You're from Pittsburgh right now. So what do you love about where you live? I think I just love that there's always something to do. Um, You get into the city, you got like great theater. I love our cultural district, but like a stone's throw and like you're in the middle of nowhere on a trail. Um, What's a favorite book or movie or both? Oh gosh. Um, To Kill a Mockingbird is my all-time favorite. And I just don't know that that will ever change Uh, Movies, I'm not really like a big movie watcher. I just prefer to do the reading. Yeah, I hear that. You know, yeah. Um, And what's your favorite ice cream? Oh, gosh. Favorite ice cream. There's a chocolate chip cookie dough that sticks to my thighs, and I love it so much. That said, I'm more of a pastry girl. I would prefer um, a slice of cake or like, you know, chocolate chip cookies over ice cream any day of the week. All right. Well, you just let me know what time to be over, and we can, I, I will definitely do that. So you're bringing them is what I'm hearing. You're, yeah. <laughs> Not if I have to drive to Pittsburgh. Uh, nah, that's true. All right, that's you, you come to Cleveland, I'll bake for you. I Perfect. come to Pittsburgh, we'll go to the bakery. Or, that's all fair. right. Yeah. All right, last one. If we were to see, take a picture of you on, just like in a very happy moment, doing something that you love, what would we see? Uh, we're at the beach and my kids are running like lunatics in and out of the waves. And the fam and I are just like sitting with drinks. It's the perfect like temperature. It's uh, that warm, warm sun. But anytime like it's too much, this cool breeze comes off the water and everybody's laughing. And there's a dog somewhere, preferably like right beside me so I can just pet it while I sip and watch my kids. And that that is the perfect Stephanie snapshot for sure. Well, we will hold on to that image. Stephanie Jankowski, thank you so much for being here. 
with us today. Thank you, friend. It's so nice to see you and talk to you. I appreciate it. I know we did. I should have mentioned we did a show together years ago that I believe you directed and just let me be in. So let's do that Mm, again. You were incredible. Oh, please listen. Anybody who's listening needs to. We can we find that video? God, I don't even know. Listen to your mother. I bet I have it somewhere. I'm going to send it. Oh, that would be excellent. So, guys, Stephanie Jankowski is the author of the book Schooled, which is a love letter. It really is a love letter to educators everywhere. I think parents, students, teachers, this is required reading. If you are passionate or dedicated to um, the education system, I think you will love this book. And to folks who are listening, we are wishing you love and light wherever the day takes you. Be good to yourselves and be good to one another. And we'll see you again soon on this wild and precious journey. Wild Precious Life is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producers Gerardo Orlando and Michael D'Aloya. Producer Sarah Wilgrube and audio engineer Ian Douglas. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.